0: What's up, everybody? Let's see here. All right. My name is Joshua T. Berglund, and we are live on the Live Mana Network. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I am so excited about today's guest, and the reason why is because I love stories that people go from what would normally be looked at as a death sentence or Something that it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This is going to alter my life forever. And they look at those challenges and they find purpose. I get excited about that. I love that kind of stuff that is uh, really at the core of what all, all of our broadcasts are about. Especially the old Gratitude Unfiltered days. Uh, I love these stories. And why? is because, you know what? We all go through trouble. We all get dealt with hardships. And some feel more severe than others. Some feel that... It's not fair and God doesn't like me and all of that stuff. And, and I've heard so many different stories. And, you know, one of the things that I love to go back to, um, and I believe that this was training for what I get to do every single day, was when I worked with complex disabilities, uh, when I was growing up, it was my first job and did it for 18 years and loved fighting on behalf of people um, that had complex disabilities. And one of the things that I always experienced, and I think I've shared this story before, but I got to see quadriplegics, I got to see ALS, muscular dystrophy, uh, multiple sclerosis. Like I got to meet people when they were first diagnosed or right after their accident, or people that had been in uh, their wheelchairs for a long period of time. I saw it, I saw children, I saw families. And here's here was the common thing. You had some people that took their accident as a sign, well, now it's time to start living. I knew a guy that became a quadriplegic. He was a, he was a wild man. Him and I had so much in common uh, because I was a maniac and I was still doing a bunch of drugs and acting out. But I, you know, I still had a heart for you know people that couldn't fight for themselves. I don't know how that worked out because I was still a junkie. But man, this guy he was incredible because we had so much in common, and he had a freak accident in a swimming pool, ended up making him a quadriplegic. And uh, long story short, instead of letting it destroy his life, one of the dreams that he always had of doing was becoming a professional skydiver. And uh, not just a regular skydiver, a skydiving Elvis. That was his dream. Well, he didn't become a regular skydiving Elvis. He became a quadriplegic skydiving Elvis impersonator. And... He had the stories and it was just so inspiring. He got to travel all over the world, jumping out of an airplane in his wheelchair. So that's one small example of many. And I've seen other cases where people just say, screw it, my life is over. And they give up and they become, you know, whether they were in an addiction before and they get further in their addiction or they start a new addiction. I've seen one extreme or the other. And the fact is this, life is about choices. We get to choose to be happy. We get to choose to go for our dreams. We get to choose to not let the crap that knocks us down keep us down. And so I'm really excited about our guest because he's going to he's got a pretty cool story and what he's doing um, with a situation very similar. Of course, it's not a, that kind of disability, but he'll tell the story, not me. That said, uh, the Live Mana Network, thank you to all of your support. Uh, it has been a lot of fun. As I've been building out the the channels and just our network the last two weeks, it's been quite the undertaking, but it's been a lot of fun to see the little milestones. So I want to encourage you today, um, those of you who like to watch us on social media, thank you for that. But one cool thing that we have uh, added into the apps where if you go to Google Play or the, uh, the iTunes or whatever their app store is called there, you can find the Live Mana Network there. Um, and as part of that app, you'll see a notepad. you'll see uh, there's a Bible in there now and and it's got all of the different channels that we have. It's all right there at your fingertips, on your phone, uh, but also on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire. You can also download the Live Mana app. I got to see it today. And uh, you know what? it's 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 we've had a network for a while, but to see our own app there, um, and to see what we're building because of your support, it means so much. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, it's really cool. And the thing is, is that everything we're doing, anyone else can do. We're not trying to build a network that just swallows up a bunch of people like Disney. Uh, we're trying to build something that inspires other people to go build their own Noah's Ark. Because it's going to be needed. Um <laughs> And I won't get into that right now. But that said, I just I just wanted to say again, thank you for your support. From the bottom of my heart, it means the world. All right, folks, we'll be right back after this short message.
1: The diamond rings, designer jeans, all minor things in the wider scheme. But at what cost to realize your dreams? Been bleeding the wheel more, put the crown of thorns on spill more. My might bloody, cause I kill more. But I'm still poor. The bottom is where I started. But i get to the top and park it. Up I up in a harlot my battery need charging And to reach my target is the illest in the market And some liquid from my arteries will spill onto the carpet, yeah Everybody want fame, nobody wanna work for it Want them all to know your name, don't wanna see no hurt for it Blurring you you out the red carpet, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, red carpet. Yeah, yeah. the red carpet yeah, yeah, yeah. The
0: Oh, man. I love that video. Uh, My wife is very, very talented. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. My name is Joshua T. Borglund. We are on a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund on the Live Mana Network. Again, so blessed to have you here. And uh, let's let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am really honored and excited. This guy kind of, I'll give you, you know, you guys know the drill by now. I don't really do a lot of research and all of that. I just love to learn about people. And um, I love inspiring stories. I love people that take hardship and say, "Screw it, we're gonna go live my dreams anyway." But uh, I this get I just from the, the the subject matter of his books, he's my kind of guy. But he also is very very funny and has some very interesting books. And he reminds me of a little bit of Tim Dorsey. And if you don't know who Tim Dorsey is, he wrote a book series um, called Well, one of the books is called Triggerfish Twist. It's literally the funniest book you could ever read about a serial killer. And for some reason, the subject matter, this is what our guest reminds me of, but he is covering all the bases. He gets into some subjects that I'm personally uh, very, very passionate about, uh, a little bit on the conspiracy side of things. And uh, But anyway, very well-rounded, has a really cool website. I cannot wait for you guys to see in these books. I'm telling you, I wish I had the chance to read all of them ahead of time. So I could tell you more, but they sound freaking awesome and they're timely and just on the money. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jim Flynn. Hello, Mr. Flynn. How you doing, sir?
2: Well, thanks. Great. That's a great intro. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, I'm really excited because, again, you get into some subjects that are really, well, they're just timely um, and they're, but they're going places that I think a lot make a lot of people uncomfortable. And unfortunately, well, not, I don't believe I'm not, unfortunately, I think, but believe with all my heart that being uncomfortable is a good place to be because that's where you get to see what's really true for you. And also you get to challenge your faith a bit too. So I, I love books like this before we, but before we get into all of that. What are you grateful for today and why, sir?
2: That's a great question. You know, I went out and played golf this morning, and I was not thinking about this interview. I was not thinking about this question. I'm an old guy playing this nine-hole league, and we were on the eighth hole. I live in Connecticut. It's been a cold spring here, and today was the first beautiful day. And I was on the eighth hole, and I was just looking at a beautiful course, and I was looking around thinking, Boy, am I lucky to be standing here playing golf in this beautiful place. And I'm just thankful after what I went through just to be walking around just and to be able to do what I do. It, I it really had a thankful moment and it, it just, just out of nothing. I was just standing there waiting for somebody else to hit a shot. And it was it was a moment of um, appreciating my life.
0: Yeah, you know, that, that reminds me, the immediate thought. And of course, I know the diagnosis that you got, um, and I'll let you tell the audience, but it reminds me of my father who had melanoma, but the, the melanoma got into his brain, his lymph nodes, and all over his body. Until his very last days, he was going to the golf course, and because that's what he loved to do. And so I admire that a great deal, but what was it that for you, what, like, what, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what happened and why this moment was so special for you?
2: Well, uh, almost six years ago now, I was, happened to be on a golf course again, and (laughs) I uh, I, I was playing up in Vermont. Uh, I was partnered with a friend of a friend, The, the guy I was with didn't really know me. I was driving the golf cart out to the first hole in the parking lot. And for some reason, I chose to stop the cart, stand up, fall out on my head. And I woke up in an emergency room a couple hours later. And the doctor said, well, you have broken arm. You have a broken vertebrae, broken skull. Um, and all that was caused by having a seizure because you have an undiagnosed brain tumor. And he's showing me oh the picture. That, that's, what, that's what caused you to have that seizure and fall. And I fell out like a sack of, the poor guy who was sitting there with me. Didn't know, couldn't figure out what was going on. Why is this guy standing up? Boom. Fell out in the parking lot. And, and then they show you the picture. See that white spot? That's, that's your brain tumor. And I really, and this shows you the kind of guy I am. This is really a true story. So he, he listed off this list of injuries and maladies. And I said, yeah, but other than that, how am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, the things happened after that. You end up having brain surgery and, um, Uh, Um, that was another, you're talking about moments of, uh, appreciating your life. So I ended up, I live in Connecticut, ended up being operated at Yale, New Haven, which is, uh, one of the best, uh, brain surgery centers in the world. I was at the neuro ICU, which is like Star Trek, very, very high tech. You have your own room. They have all these computers in it. And when it's time for me to go home. They said, you have to prove that you're ambulatory. So the neuro ICU is an oval. You can't see in any of the, I hadn't seen any of the other patients because there's glass wall to the hallway, but between rooms, there's a opaque wall. So you don't see any other patients. So I hadn't seen any of the other patients until I walked out of my room and I had a nurse on my elbow and I had to walk around this pretty big oval. Maybe there were 15 rooms. And I looked around and there were people crying and people having prayer vigils and priests and rabbis and all kinds of denominations. And I thought, I might just be the only guy walking out of here. That was a moment of extreme gratitude. Like, why am I so lucky? And at that time, I was still doing open water. Sw- I'm, I'm a, well, I was a competitive swimmer into my 60s. And I was still doing open water swims. You go out and swim five miles in a lake. And if I had had that seizure when I was swimming, I would definitely be dead. I would have definitely drowned. Or even if I was driving, I would have been dead. So just all those circumstances to happen. And I had a great surgeon. Because I know other people who have had the same thing as me, and they, they're not walking around a golf course today. They have regular seizures. They have all kinds of problems. They can't be on their own. And I'm, I can drive. I, I'm, I'm a, I can fake being normal. <laughs> you know, people, people think I'm normal. I have a pretty normal life after <laughs> what I went through. And believe me, I'm grateful for all those things.
0: Man, I you know I I not to compare at all because it's not the same thing. But I had two back surgeries back to back. The first one failed, and like literally a year later, had another one. And uh, as I was mentioning in the opening, I worked with complex disabilities for eighteen years, so I got to see people that had, had back surgeries that ended up in wheelchairs, that did, yeah. addicted to pain pills, all the things. And I am so grateful that my surgeon was awesome, the second one, uh, because, you know, I started racing mountain bikes after, and like, I didn't miss a beat, uh, because of him. And, uh, and of course I did the work to rehabilitate also. So I, but I, I, I know what you mean by other people having similar surgeries and having way different results. What do you think the key to your success in your recovery was?
2: Well, I can't claim that it was rehab because I've had 10 knee surgeries, I know what rehab is. When you have brain (laughs) surgery, there's no rehab. You either get better or you don't. There's, you can't do an exercise for your brain. And and, um, the key, honestly, the key for me is I had a great, great surgeon. The guy actually invented the procedure. He's since (laughs) retired, but he was one of the best brain surgeons in the world. And that's, honestly, that's the key. It wasn't me, I just was lucky.
0: How long did it take you to, to feel normal or feel good again?
2: <laughs> normal? It, I don't feel normal yet.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, Fair enough. Feel,
2: feel good again? Oh, five, six weeks. Um, I, but I'll tell you another funny story. I was a Jeopardy contestant way back when. And I've, no way. I love Jeopardy! I watch Jeopardy! every night. And nobody believes this, but this is also true. I had brain surgery in the morning. And that night, I was in my room, and the nurse came in and said, do you want to watch TV? I said, yeah, what time is it? She said, told me, and I said, well, Jeopardy! is on. Put Jeopardy! on. And I got the final Jeopardy! question right.
1: The day I had brain
2: <laughs> And I said, I got it right. She was a little surprised because you're kind of goofy at that point. I said, the surgery must have worked. So although many functions of my brain, like my memory, are fine, some of the functions aren't the same and are never going to be the same. And that's one of the reasons I'm wearing the sunglasses. Uh, I have to have the light because we're doing a, a webcast here. So I can't tolerate bright lights. That's why I'm wearing sunglasses. I also, I have visual, I have a, they can never predict these things before the surgery, but I have a problem taking in symbols visually and translating them into my brain. So for example, I have a hard time reading, which people think is a joke because here, I, my last book is 108,000 words. They said, well, you wrote a book that's 108,000 words and you can't read. (laughs) I said, well, it's not that I can't read, but I read slow and I zone out. I read a page or two and I end up looking at the seal. I can't do it. I also, I'm a you know, crummy amateur guitar player, but I was good enough to, I taught adult ed guitar, so I'm not that bad, but I can't learn any new songs because I can't read music or tab anymore. I look at it as just like hieroglyphics. It doesn't make any sense to me. So <laughs> although I can fake it, people who didn't know I had brain surgery think I'm the same, but I'm really not the same.
0: Wow. I, so you have so many books that look interesting. And and I, first of all, I admire the diversity of your books, I, I that part stuck out to me. I was like, wow, this is an interesting dude because the subjects really kind of stand on their own as separate entities. And then, so I don't know where to start because I haven't had the opportunity to read any of them. But actually the first thing that comes to mind is the Bitcoin. Illusion,
2: Bitcoin Gambit?
0: Yeah, Bitcoin Gambit.
2: Uh, let's not start with that one. Okay. Cause that's kind of in the middle. Uh, I, 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 can we start with where I started writing and then I'll tell you how I got to that stage. Sure. As I said, I was a jeopardy contestant. I was a stockbroker. They don't call them stockbrokers anymore, but I was in the financial business for 35 years. And during that time, i had always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, but never did it. And. Got a real big boy job and um, it was a good job. And I had three kids to raise and a wife to feed and all that stuff. And uh, while I was doing that, I was a contestant on Jeopardy. And before you raise your hand, I will tell you that I lost because that's the first question everybody said. Hey, how'd you do? I've lost. I bet it all on the last question, got it wrong. It really feels terrible. It's it's awful to go on Jeopardy and lose. Uh, But on the way home on the plane, I wrote an article of what is it like to be a Jeopardy contestant, literally on a napkin and an envelope. And when I got home, I called the editor of the Hartford Current Sunday magazine and got his secretary. And she said, hey, we get 100 unsolicited manuscripts every week. What's the article about? I said, Oh, it's about jeopardy. Data. Yeah. And she basically told me to get lost. I had no chance. Five minutes later, a guy called me back, said, I love jeopardy. Do you have a rough draft? I said, sure. I was lying. I didn't have a, rough draft. so I spent all night writing a rough draft and it was so long ago that I printed it on a dot matrix. Remember the old dot matrix printers? Barely,
0: but yes.
2: Yeah, well, you're younger than me. It, <laughs> it had a continuous paper, you know. So I showed up in this guy's office with like 400 feet of continuous paper the next day, and it ended up getting published as a cover story in the Hartford Current Sunday Magazine, which was which was much better than being a Jeopardy contestant. It was really great. Wow. Uh, and I got fan mail. I got people calling me up saying, "Oh, you should be a writer. You're really funny," and so on. So I put that off, said, someday I'll be a writer. I, I can't afford to quit and not make any money and be a starving artist. I'm, I'll do it someday. You know, what? like a lot of people, oh, I'll do it someday and just some vague someday in the future. So now I'm sitting in my hospital bed and wondering if I can go back and do my job in the financial industry. And after five weeks, I could go back to work. I could drive to Hartford, put on a tie, and go to my office. And I got there and realized, I can't do this. I'm just sitting here. I'm just taking up space. I can't make any decisions. I can't do any math in my head. And I was on a team of people. And they said, hey, you know, you could just be like the senior statesman and greet people and take them, take them to lunch and stuff like that. And I did not want, yeah, I don't want, yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be the greeter at Walmart. It was a a better paid position than that, but pretty much that's what I would be doing. I just said, nah, that's not me. I don't want to do that. And fortunately I was old and I could afford to retire. So I retired and okay, you retired. You always want to be a writer. There's the computer you're looking at a blank page. What do you got? So that's when I wrote my first book, which is called be sincere, even when you don't mean it. And that came from, uh, I figured while I was successful writing the jeopardy article, what else have I done in my life that would be interesting to people? And the answer was eh, nothing. (laughs) really i was just a regular guy right so i made up a fictional character who uh did a lot of um uh, sort of uh, bucket list things he was a college football player ended up playing for the Oakland raiders in the super bowl became an astronaut uh, an ast- became an astrophysicist played in the masters tournament um uh, did the Hawaii Iron Man bunch of stuff like that <laughs> other things as well. Like it, a it was, superhero. Well, not quite, but, uh, it wasn't the most realistic book, but it was, it was my funniest <laughs> book. If, if, if people want the funniest book, that's it. It's not the best book, but it's the funniest book. And it, it is, it's laugh out. Well, all my books make people laugh. And, um, I didn't know anything about publishing. I didn't know. uh, I knew you could put a book on Amazon. So, but I thought you had to do a Kindle, you know, like the electronic books. Right. I didn't know you could publish a paperback. So I put it on as a Kindle and it was selling zero copies. So I looked into, oh, you can print a paperback. In the old days, self-published meant you went to these vanity printing houses, and they would print a 1,000 copies of a book. And you'd pay them 10 grand, and they'd send you the 1,000 copies in boxes. Then it was up to you to sell them. And I thought that was self-publishing. I didn't realize that Amazon has what's called print-on-demand. So I was looking today. Ten of my books sold today. So they'll print 10 of my latest book and send that out to people. There's no warehouse with a bunch of books in them. So it doesn't cost you anything other than you have to design the cover, you have to edit it, you have to all those pre-production things, but it doesn't cost you anything to print the book. So, So I did that with my first book and it began to sell. And it did pretty well for a quirky little book. And even better, the best part of it was somehow serendipitously it fell into the hands of people i consider real writers professional writers people who make a living out of writing and they contacted us few of them contacted me and said you're really funny and you should write more so because because you're funny you could just keep doing that don't try to be something you're not because there's a lot of uh, really good writers who aren't funny at all. Sure. Do what you're good at. And, but if you want it now, this book was one thing after another. It was just a guy telling a story. Here's I did this. Then I did this. Then I did this. It's not a novel. You couldn't classify this as a novel. It's just one thing after another. It does have some fans. It has some people want me to write another one. (laughs) the follow-up to it but my mentors i have a little network of mentors talk about something to be grateful for that just came out of nowhere i'm talking about people in france and california and uh texas and people who you wouldn't think would like my first book including a woman writer who writes cozy romances (laughs) which is like the opposite of what I do. But I said, why'd you like my book? She said, because it was funny. And there aren't that many books that are funny. So anyhow, they all said, hey, if you want to grow your audience, you have to write a novel. It has to be a story. So that's when I invented my character, J.R. Johnson, who's in my financial books. I've written three of those. The first one is called Losing Lola. The second one, the sequel, is called The Bitcoin Gambit. And the third one, the latest book, is called Better Than Even, and they all feature this character, Jr. Johnson.
0: The so, the what is the premise of the first book in that series? What's that about?
2: Uh, well, each of them, all the books, the theme of all the books is greed. How much greed? Why greed? Everybody's. Well, because I worked with money, <laughs> I saw oh, I saw yeah, it. Probably. That's something. That's something I have uh, experience with, and I saw people who are really greedy. Everybody's greedy. Me, you, we're all greedy for not me money, money, success, fame, something. We're all greedy. How much greed is enough? How much greed is too much? What causes people? The first book, the bad guy is running a Ponzi scheme. Similar to Bernie Madoff. The protagonist is working on... The protagonist is a money manager. His client, Lola, is the most beautiful movie star in the world. He's afraid he's... And his lover. And he's afraid he's going to lose her to the, the bad guy who's running the Ponzi scheme. And that's when the fun begins. And this char, the character is based... The things this character did... Is based on Bernie Madoff. The way he ran the Ponzi scheme. As a character, he's different because Bernie Madoff acted like he was your uncle, a nice guy, and sure. as he was as he was robbing you. But this guy is like a real Wall Street hot shot with the custom suit and the cutaway collar and all that stuff, um, and not a nice guy. Never doesn't even act like he's a nice guy just act like I'm so smart that you know you just you have to be invited to give me your money you know there's so many people who are clamoring and that's what Bernie Madoff did that you know he acted like you know this is a very exclusive club you're getting into just sign here and give me the billion dollars you know so that's so that book The Greed is based around the Ponzi scheme uh, um, the second book the Bitcoin gambit is based on a cryptocurrency. And one thing, as you, I'm sure have experienced, as you're out there on the internet, people aren't shy about criticizing you. <laughs> I'm sure you've gotten no, some emails. Really. Now I'm sure you've gotten some emails that are less than flattering and- <laughs> Well, just death go, threats uh, are fun too. Yeah, 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 there you go. Uh, it, well, I'll tell you what, you wanna get some critical emails Start criticizing Bitcoin. Oh, I do,
0: actually, pretty
2: boldly. (laughs) Because the people who, well, then you know, the people who believe in cryptocurrencies, it's almost like a religion to them. They believe, and don't tell them it's not true. I am very skeptical on cryptocurrency, very skeptical on Bitcoin. Now, I invented a plot, which is definitely not the truth. But a a very interesting twist that I I won't ruin the book with uh, of where Bitcoin really came from. It's, you know, I just, it's just, it's just one plot twist after another. Uh, But the serious, my serious thought on cryptocurrency, when you're in the financial business, you have to take a test every year to be able to detect money laundering and be able to recognize if your clients are money laundering, and there's something that people have lost their license for something called willful blindness. Yeah, in other words, your client is doing things they're not telling you they're money laundering, but anybody with half a brain would realize they're transferring all this money for no reason, they're doing things that are just obviously laundering the money. You can lose your license if you don't report that. Well, the first thing I thought of when I heard about Bitcoin was that's, that's, that's a crook's dream because there's no reporting. I don't want crooks to be able to do things under the radar. I don't want terrorists and money launderers and hackers to be able to steal people's money and not have, I mean, I have to pay my taxes. You can not like them. You can talk to your politicians and try to elect somebody else. But when, in the end, you got to pay them. I don't want people to just put money into a system that nobody knows who, who it belongs to. And I, I, I think that all the, the whole cryptocurrency thing is, is, a, is a crook's dream. And I think the government should regulate cryptocurrency. And if they do, cryptocurrencies will collapse because that's that's really the basis of cryptocurrencies in my mind and um and, and then there's some of them that are just ridiculous i mean so they started one like, as a joke they, they started, know, coin. You know, yeah yeah they started that and, and as a joke and it, now it's worth a billion dollars or so they say come on <laughs> you know you, you really think that's real yeah and and then now there's nfts you know non-fungible tokens which I call make believe art bought with make believe money. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if you saw, you know, there was a LeBron James's first basket, which you can look on YouTube and see. when we stop this thing, you can go on YouTube and see this, see this video. Well, somebody bought the original of it for like $5 million. And I said, well, they're buying make believe art with make believe money. But when the spam eventually hits the fan and they want to sell this thing to somebody with, for actual money, I'm not so certain. (laughs) I'm not so certain they're going to get any actual money. I, I think I don't want to get too long winded on this answer, but being in the financial side of things in 2009, the banking system almost collapsed and not only the United States, but many of the developed nations had to so-called print money, create money out of nothing. And what that did is create excess money floating around and it began chasing things more and more speculative investments, so-called investments. And one of those things is cryptocurrency. So there's money floating around. Why Why are people buying, people don't understand Bitcoin. If 90% of the people on Bitcoin don't have a clue of what it is, they're just buying it because it's going up. Well, when when the game of musical chairs stops, who are they going to sell it to? So that's, that runs all through the Bitcoin gambit. And it has yeah. a very interesting plot twist, which definitely is just something I made up for fun and definitely isn't the truth of who really invented Bitcoin. But it, it is... It, people like it as a plot device. So,
0: well, when people do find out who started created Bitcoin, <laughs> they may not have the same opinions about it that they do now. And I, rem- I remember when I was first introduced to it, I was buying, I used to play around on the dark web and, you know, yeah. I, used, I I was a criminal, you know, I mean, it was a lot of things, but the dark web was a place for me, it was a playground. Yeah, And I started, you know, discovering a lot of different things and, Bitcoin is what you used uh, to be able to purchase there, and yeah. it's uh, listen. You know, governments get around sanctions by using Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is used for human trafficking, the selling of children, organ yeah. harvesting. I mean, I can go down the list.
2: Uh, yeah, and I don't want people to are. be able to do that. I, I, I don't. I don't want, want people, people to be able to do,
0: to do it either. Yeah, and that's what is done. But now, of course, I think the Bitcoin code is cracked. I don't believe for a second that it's secure anymore um i think i I don't so i think people are everyone that's investing in it and going crazy with it it's gonna it they're gonna regret it because the bottom is gonna fall out and i believe sooner than later but we'll see
2: well what's happened is like any investment when you buy it with cash it's one thing but now that it's becoming more accepted you can buy it with margin. In other words, borrowed money. And what that does is multiplies moves in either direction. But, for example, the uh, subprime loan crisis we had, that was all yeah. borrowed. People, there were banks using 30 times leverage. So, in other words, for every million dollars of equity they had, they owned $30 million of these subprime mortgages. That's extreme margin. Well, what happens is, as soon as that goes down 3%, your million dollars is wiped out, your equity is wiped out. Now, Bitcoin isn't that leveraged up yet, but it's starting to be leveraged. People are taking um, their equity in, let's say, technology stocks, and using that money to go out and buy cryptocurrencies. So that's sort of hidden leverage and and when you have leverage in a system i'm a little I'm a little afraid of it I hope it blows up sooner than later because i I don't want them taking the rest of us with them. I just want them to blow up but if if we let it pervade the system too much, I'm afraid they'll it'll be too entwined in the system there'll be too much borrowed money and what are we going to do have another five trillion dollar bailout <laughs> you know we can't keep doing that so.
0: No. No, especially with now that isn't the, the is it the ruble that rush is Russia's currency? Yes. And it's backed by gold now. That's going to sh- change up the financial system as we know it a little bit. I mean, there, I think we have some big changes on the horizon that a lot of people are not prepared for. But I'm not a financial expert. I just am a conspiracy theorist and I do a lot of research and I'm pretty good at connecting dots. But I'm, well, wait, I think we're about to have a really rude awakening,
2: well, is what I, I believe. Hope, I hope the awakening is sooner than later. Because hey, if man. it's later, if it's later, it'll be more involved in the system. I don't want to have the Great Depression all over again. And I don't think the, our country, for example, in 2009, if Ben Bernanke was the federal reserve chairman and I he had a famous statement, I'm going to just take a helicopter and throw money out the door. I don't know if you remember that. They called it helicopter money. He's just going to yeah. print money and throw it out. We don't, if, if that was 50 years ago, we would have just had a depression. The government would not have done that, but people don't have that tolerance for pain anymore. So, but if we have, Something even more serious than that. Can we print enough money? Can Will people have any faith in the money? Uh, so I, I guess we're both agreed on that point. Let's have it happen sooner than later. Um, well, I'm a uh, believer
0: I, in facing your giants and facing your fears and taking yep. things head on. So if I'm going to experience pain, I'd rather get the damn pain over with. Yeah, And, we, and it seems like, I, I don't know if it's just the United States or the rest of the world is guilty of this too, but... It seems like we're just trying to mask our problems with anything and everything possible.
2: And that's not
0: a recipe for
2: success. Well, I agree with you there. I'm not, I don't have enough of a sense of the rest of the world, but it seems like our country, politicians just want to get reelected. So, you know, take, take this drug of money and just paper over all the problems and never solve the problems. And it's not just one side or the other, it's both sides. You're so right. So your now, third book you should, you, oh, but go ahead, you, go should ahead. you should definitely read that book. You, well, you should read all the books because it one leads into the other. But you will definitely like what I have postulated about Bitcoin. And it, it just just for laughs. I mean it's it's I'm not claiming it's true but it's, it's surprising. And, uh, you, you'll, you'll definitely enjoy that. The third book is about hackers. Ah,
0: another subject I love.
2: Um, it starts better than even starts off the day after the Bitcoin gambit ends. And the protagonist, J.R. Johnson is, um, well, he got burned at the end of the Bitcoin gambit. And he has to get even. And he ends up getting married to this very hot shot woman uh, in Texas who's a, a oil oil heiress. And she thinks he's rich, but he lost his money. And when she finds out that he lost the money, she kicks him out and says, "Don't come back until you have the money." <laughs> So that's what better news about. He's got to get even oh, and I'm man. not going to ruin the rest of the book for you, but there's also somebody else, a world leader unnamed who also got burned big time at the end of the Bitcoin gambit. And he has to get even those two are after each other. Th- those two are opponents in this book.
0: These sound like great movies.
2: Well, that's interesting. You say that because everybody says that and to get back to my brain for a second. I used to be a voracious reader. I loved to read everything. And and I was a really fast reader. And because of my brain surgery, I can't read anymore for enjoyment. I mean, I can, you know, I can read a stop sign. <laughs> you know, I can read a menu, but I can't sit down and read a book for it, without really hard work. So I end up listening to books and my favorite form of entertainment are long form TV shows like breaking bad and the Americans and Dexter and Longmire and stuff like that. So I, when I wrote losing Lola, I thought I was writing a novel and I was halfway through the Bitcoin gambit before I realized what I'm really writing is a long form TV show. I think of my chapters as scenes. Stephen King tells you to do that. Picture a scene, what happens in the scene, write it down. That's what I do. Stephen King's pretty successful. I listen to him. So I have scenes. Almost all my scenes end up with a cliffhanger. And so if you read the reviews to my books, people say, hey, this would make a really great movie. This would make a really good long-form TV show. I'm waiting for Hollywood to call, so if you know anybody, you know, <laughs> I'll take the call, and I'm and I'm working on a few things that I can't really talk about right now. Uh, they they would make great movies, and I think of I think of that. I don't think of it as being a novel. I think of it as being a long form TV show. And I'm writing a scene. Here are the characters. There's a lot of dialogue in it. Uh, that that sort of thing. I I'm not big on description. I'm pretty I'm pretty you know. That's another thing Stephen King says. Don't, don't go on three pages to what some guy's suit looks like. Have the people use their imagination. And you're going to think Jr. looks different than I think Jr. looks. But as long as you build that up in your mind, that's, that makes it successful.
0: I like that, too. I really do. I, when, we, uh, when I wrote, our, my wife and I put together a project where we made a movie an audiobook in a in a well, in a book too and i wrote the book uh, she made the movie and it's a, it's about my life but i wrote it just like you're speaking about cuz as much as i it was about myself i wanted people to be able to put themselves in the characters that were there yeah and of course it's a different subject matter entirely but i i like that i'm not very descriptive in my writing too. I like, I want to trigger your imagination, which actually can be the most frightening thing of all. When you let people use their own imagination to develop the character or to give the details of the character, because our minds are
2: crazy. Well, yeah, that's one of the things that um, has evolved in writing. If you go back and look at the writing of um, 19th century, (laughs) I had one, I had one guy say, well, I can't read your book right now because I'm reading a book by Anthony Trollope. I don't know if you ever heard of Anthony Trollope, but he's, he's, if you're, if you have insomnia, I would definitely. Anthony Trollope was a 1800s English writer, wrote these boring books. And I said, well, I'll go out and study Anthony Trollope. And I turned to a page and he wrote 500 words about what a guy's suit was. Tweed and a button and 500 words in 500 words. I can kill two people and be in a new city. (laughs) 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 And, but just think when people wrote that kind of descriptive language, there wasn't TV, there weren't movies, you know, it was a different world then, but the world is evolving there. And, am I starting a new art form of writing, um, uh, you know, long form TV shows in the form of book? I don't know, but that's what I do. And, and people seem to like it. So.
0: That's and and that's the same thing for me too. I would almost, I used to want to do movies and, and make movies and we do, but really I love series and my wife and I both get bored as creators where we'll create something and then it's like, okay, well, we've done that. So now let's go do something else. Like, I don't want to keep doing the same thing and make it some really long, drawn out thing. I like the fa- doing series and being done with it. I do that with my all the shows that we create, too. They're not meant to run forever. It's just like, okay, well, hey, we're going to change things now. And just create something new. But now... We have that opportunity. Like I don't believe that stuff was available back then. You're right about the book publishing. Now it's easier to do than ever. Even creating your own media organization, your own broadcasting network, all these things because of technology can be done from a phone or laptop. You don't need giant cell towers. You don't need giant anything. You just can do it. So as as a creator, as an author, as a filmmaker, as a, a producer, whatever it may be, you have... I, I, anyone can do it now. If you will take the time and learn very basic fundamentals of technology, you can create anything you want now. You don't even need money to do half of it. And that's the most amazing thing about the time we live in.
2: Well, yeah, it really is amazing. And, and, and like any technological change, it has its pluses and minuses. And, For sure. and you know, if, if you get into the book business, you know, there's like a thousand books that hit Amazon every day and most of them sell 10 copies and it's to the, the relatives and they never write another book and but they're out there and they're competing with you so it's it's not it doesn't necessarily make everything easy but the world is really changing it's like it's like you're standing there in front of the skyline it, you're probably not really standing in front of a skyline <laughs>
0: no i'm not <laughs> it's but it green but
2: it's but it's a great <laughs> backdrop. And could you have done that ten years ago? No. Five years ago? No. no. It's, it, it's a tremendous, you know, it's a tremendous image. And and you know, if I was younger, I'd have a podcast anyhow. But uh, I'm I'm writing the books. I'm really enjoying it. I'm working on some things that I can't talk about yet, but may move along what you've suggested to me.
0: Well, I think, I, yeah, because I, I would be excited to do, uh, excited to see it, but I'm really excited to read it because I do enjoy reading, and I enjoy reading books like this. I love to laugh. When I was talking about, I don't know if you know who Tim Dorsey is, but yes. at the very beginning, he, I mean, he's talking about serial killers, and it's the funniest freaking books I've ever read. And you're getting a history lesson on Florida while you're reading them. And, and it's just it's unexpected it's hilarious and like your books kind of give me that same vibe it's not about serial killers but when you can put humor in these situations that are relatively well I mean they're traumatizing for some people um they're historic they're they're crime novels but at the same time you can laugh at the same time I I I find that to be that's the kind of book I want to read so I cannot wait to get
2: your books Oh, great. You're, you're my, you're my perfect reader. (laughs) You know, um, I have uh, one of the women who got in touch with me after reading my book has become a real good friend of mine. And I consider her a mentor, never met her. She's a American expat lives in France and she's reading my books and helping me with a few things that I said, I can't talk about, but um, she says, All of your books. Now, the first book was this humorous fictional memoir. I have three books in this series. I also wrote a golf book. Just, uh, I'll explain why I did that later. But she said, All of your books, the common thread is dark humor. Uh, You know, so you're not writing thrillers, you're writing dark humor crime books. Your first book laugh out loud, funny, but it's dark humor. That's you just keep being you and you'll catch on. So my <laughs> golf book is, uh, it's called hit your second shot first. And, <laughs> um, it's a uh, like hundred pages long. It sells every day. It's a little book. You know, I, I think it'll do great on father's day, but it's dark humor. You know, she says, how many golf books does it say it's okay to kill your partner with a putter? You know, if he's a jerk, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to beat him to death with a putter. If he's a real jerk. So yeah, that's me. And, uh, I'm going to be me because good. if I try to be, you know, the guy who wrote Jack Reacher, I would just be a wannabe. I, I wouldn't be good at it. I'm good at being me and I'm pretty funny. So I'm going to just, yeah, I like
0: humor, that. and I like dark humor too. Um, well, Jim, I, listen, I, I, I can't wait to read your books. Um, and I think the audience, because, you know, the nature of most of our shows, uh, cover human trafficking and we get into some really heavy subjects, addiction and all that. But with that and the personalities that watch our program from around the world, they've been through some stuff. So the stuff they've been through has kind of given them a dark sense of humor so I think the audience is gonna fall in love with your books as well. Uh, so why don't you tell everybody uh, where they can find you, where they can support you, and also more importantly, where they can buy your books?
2: Well, it's all in one place. The easy place to do it is my website, JimFlynn6six.com, six, and it shows pictures of the books. You can click, shows you where to click, takes you right to where you can buy the book. Uh, Four of the books are already audio books. Um, and I was smart enough not to narrate them myself, uh, professional narration. And uh, so, jimflyn6.com, real easy to navigate and click. And it's a cool yeah, website. And, well, thanks. My, I have a son, I have two sons. One of my sons runs a computer gaming company and he helps me with my website he does all the website work so i have a little labor just just to wet their whistle if people um, like dark humor one of the things that happens in the latest book is this evil po- politician who's out to get the protagonist makes a deep fake video about him doing some really terrible stuff which is one of the things that's out there. And you can, you know, the power of deep fake video. I don't know if you've explored that.
0: Oh, I. A, a lot of what we see on TV is deep fake.
2: Yeah. But that's a
0: whole other four hour long conversation. I'm very familiar with this technology.
2: Well, wait till you read it in the book. <laughs> oh,
0: see, wait, yeah, I, you, now I'm wait really to you, excited.
2: Wait till you see some of the deep fake videos. Also, we somebody in the U S government is a friend of his makes a reprisal video to get back at the guy who made the first video. Yeah. You'll really like that one. (laughs) It's, it's pretty dark humor there. Yeah.
0: I can't wait to check it out. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Uh, I look forward to, uh, when you write your next book, I look forward to having you on again and anything we can do to support you, please let us know.
2: Great. I, I, I love to be on. I, I love your show. I love the backdrop. I love the tell your wife. She does a great job on the videos and, uh, and, uh, thank you very much for having me.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Jim Flynn, everyone. And by the way, you'll be able to Jim 6com Jim Flynn It's an amazing website. Like I really enjoyed navigating it and um he yeah, actually kind of helped me i was changing my website yesterday after i saw his cuz it inspired me to tinker around a little bit uh it's very well done so a shout out to his son uh for doing his website but i think you'll enjoy it too um and I, oh what he was saying about deep fake it's it's nuts like you don't you guys have no idea how much it's used and it's almost impossible to prove except for the fact Every once in a while, you'll see around the neck area, if they have an open shirt or a blouse, because it happens with women too, you'll see it pull up sometimes. And you have to be watching to pay attention. But if you've ever noticed like, gee, the president looks different today, or such and such, they don't look like themselves. But it's their voice and they're talking and all that. It's a good indication that you could be dealing with a deep fake. But listen, there's men inside of deep fake costumes that are women like you're and all you're looking at is they'll have big breasts and whatever and they're dressed in a in a dress and you can see it's revealing it's meant to distract you but you're looking at a man that I'm telling you it, the deep fake you can look it up online this is not a joke the technology has been around for a long time so it just keeps getting better. I mean, I remember seeing the first video about it 12 years ago, and, and th- that was in the infancy of it. What they can do now, it's unbelievable. And now a lot of times they make jokes about it, the way that they shoot commercials. He was commenting about the green screen. I don't have the tech that Hollywood has. Imagine what they can do. It's this whole, the whole world is a stage I swear to you, I think we're all in a movie right now. I don't even know. If, we may be in the metaverse now. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not really sure. I just know that truth is stranger than fiction, and it's really freaking weird, and it's about to get even more weird. Um, I don't like to talk about current events a whole lot, necessarily, because I like to create evergreen content, uh, but that said, uh, please be safe. If you are watching this live or watching it, um, we're in May of 2022. Please be safe. Please don't go out and join these protests. Um, not to sound like a weirdo, but don't go. Don't go. It's 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 gonna be bad. If you thought the George Floyd riots were bad, <laughs> stay tuned. Um, and I think as of tomorrow, they're, pro- they're probably gonna start. I know that Antifa, has already started coming into Minneapolis. I know they're in LA right now, and um, they're gonna set it off. And I just, please be careful, don't join. Listen, I love the, the, right, the fact that we have the right to protest. Um, I don't like tearing and destroying people's property, not for that. I'm for peaceful protest. And right now, everything looks relatively peaceful. I'm telling you right now, um, please don't go out and march in the cities. It's not going to end well. This weekend is going to be bad. Uh, Starting tomorrow night, most likely, uh, from what I can tell. So, with all that said, go check out Jim's books. They're fascinating. Everything about them sounds so interesting. Sounds like the movie and TV shows I want to watch. Uh, But I'm definitely excited about reading the books. Thank you again for your support. Uh, Really quick, I want to announce my wife is starting a show. Started a show. And uh, this is her video.
1: Show me what it's like to be circling among the clouds Because without you by my side I would be stuck here on the ground You're lighting up the way, I can see the road ahead of me I won't be stumbling in the dark Your eyes are shining like the stars I was there. Until you save me, until you set me free, my eyes were closed, now I see clear as day, and I just wanted to say, that you can take me high.
0: Well, anyway, uh, stay tuned, that'll be on the Live Mana Network, really, really excited to uh, just all the different channels, the different movies that we're going to be bringing on. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and you guys have all made it possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. God bless you all, and uh, we'll see you again.